so good to see y'all. Glad you're here. Thank you. Now, before we slash I forget, thank you all that helped on Thursday. You'll have the gory details at the end of the service. But I want to hear, I want you to, I want you to hear my gratitude. Okay? And Todd, thank you for your help with. Do you think we, we turn, turned out some pretty decent Bible study leaders? Okay. okay. Thank you for that. Now. Well, special thank you for David and all the cooks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, good morning, church family. Hope everyone's doing well today. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Kim. If everyone could please stand as we join in our call to worship. Who do you think you are? We think we are the church of Jesus Christ. What are you doing here? We came here to remember important things, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, what it means to be a Christian, and what it means to be the church. To do those things, you will have to get real and be honest. We know, and we will do our best to be that way. To do those things, you will have to open your hearts and minds to the presence of Christ. With God's help, we will push aside the world and all else that clutters our being. We will be ready to open to the one who stands at the door and knocks. Please open your hymnals to page 733. And before anybody worries, yes, this is the correct one, even though... Three. 733. So 732 has the title of what's printed in the bulletin. However, there's a long story, and we're just going to sing on page 733. We're singing 733 because it's the version that has the chorus. Okay. But 
we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, we're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Your weird pastor did something that used to be typical with this hymn 60 years ago. You couldn't sing this hymn without marching to Zion. Leslie? Yeah, so before you take a seat, please turn and greet one another this morning. I started on a different team. Oh, me. I, 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 great. No. No. I love it. No. You were playing the, the, the tune to 732. Yeah. I used to check that one. And, and I was wanting us to sing 733 because it's got I know. The I know. That, that, no worries. That's why I, I want to have yeah. some speakers. No worries. Good. We're good. <laughs> Good morning. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Thank you again. Much appreciated. Good morning and good morning. I'm just so glad y'all are rowdy. Yeah. We talk one of the things that's happened this week at um at the Clinton Methodist Church that doesn't do anything ever. Uh, one of the things that happened this week was um, Todd and I were, were uh, teaching uh, a course on how to run a Bible study. And then um, another pastor, Pastor Alice from, from Adrian uh, First Church, was um, teaching uh, a, a class uh, on... Uh, worship, what it means and how to do it. And anyway, um, we, we had these moments, okay? We had these moments when we would just have to stop. And then we'd talk about different things. And we were talking about what makes a church feel friendly? Think about that one. Uh-huh. But, okay, 
you can go to a church that's full of people and think, this isn't a friendly place. Greet them, ask them how they're doing. What else is on a checklist, eh? Give them a hug if they want one, if they need one. Hey. Glad you're here. Come back again. As we go together in prayer, okay, take a moment and look at the prayer requests. Some important needs there. We have folk that are with us that are juggling. There's important family things that are going on, okay? And phones may ring, okay? Please be understanding. Some of us have lost people dear to us. Um, the church in its earliest days when a person died said they're celebrating their birthday in the kingdom of God. I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. We have folk that are going through struggles in their lives. We have folk that are fighting diseases. We have folk that are fighting bugs, okay? As a congregation, we have challenges. The gory details aren't important. What's important is we can take them to Jesus. The most powerful description of what intercessory prayer means came to me from a dad who was estranged from his daughter. And the estrangement was his fault. Okay. He was an alcohol abuser. He and his daughter, okay, hadn't talked in years. She was a substance abuser herself. After things had spun out of control with that, things spun out of control with her. The person was a person of faith. Faith can be a real hard struggle with things that other people struggle with. Okay? And they happened to be at a family event. Can't remember whether it was a wedding <laughs> or whether it was a baptism. But there was a reception afterwards and there was food. Okay? And Keith found himself in line behind his daughter. And he said, Barb, you know I quit praying for you. And Barb says, I know, Dad, and it's working. Keith had stopped praying and asking God to settle things his way. And what he would do in his prayer time 
is in his mind and in his heart, he would take Barb by the hand and come in front of Jesus as he, best he could picture Jesus, and Keith would just cry. And it worked. Let's go to Jesus. Blessed Jesus, there's so much going on, so many places. Some of it's in our own heads and in our own hearts. Some of it's in our own bodies. Some of it, oh Lord, is going on in and with people we love. Some of it's going on the complete other side of the world. We don't claim to understand. We may think we know how to fix it all, but we really don't. Only you know. So we come to you. Our words are not enough. You know what to do. You know how to do it. We ask, oh Lord, that we would get out of your way and let you do what it is you need to do. We ask, oh Lord, that you would be with us here. And we ask especially that you would give us each one a taste of your kingdom. Your kingdom that's already somehow arrived and is still to come. It's for that kingdom we pray every time we join our voices together in the words you taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Could we take a moment and listen to God in silence because God will speak in turn during our time of prayer. Amen. Please join me in our affirmation of God's love. We believe that God has given limitless value to every human being. We believe that our worth is not derived from what others think of us or even by what we think of ourselves. Our value lies in what God thinks of us 
We believe that God loves each of us with a richness and depth that is beyond our wildest imaginations. We believe that every human being falters and fails at times and is in need of the forgiving love of God in order to keep going. We know that each of us becomes hardened to our world, to our brothers and our sisters. So we need the Holy Spirit to be with us, to melt our hardness and breathe new life into us. We know that each of us faces death that is so unknown and fearsome. It is in the face of death that God's promise of eternal life, sealed in Jesus, holds out so much hope to us. Amen. Amen. And please stand as we sing the Gloria. Thank you. You may be seated. Unless you're, unless you're part of our morning quintet.
Would the children come, please? There's not too much I can do about that one. So, the big people making you crazy. Some yes, some no. Okay. Big people, are you paying attention? You're getting mixed reviews. <laughs> you get, that's right. Better than all negative. Now, I brought something to show you. All right, and it's not the bag. All right, now the guys are wondering, Mike, your guy, why you got a purse? It's a man purse, okay? And did I ever tell you I have a bad back? I think I did. Yeah, okay. And because I have a bad back, I don't carry a wallet in my pants pocket. Okay, because when I carry a wallet in my pants pocket, what it does is it pinches a nerve that makes me hurt. So I carry a bag, all right? Now, attached to the bag, you'll see a number of things, all right? Yeah, a number of things, but there's one that I want you to focus on, all right? And it's this. Okay. I'm going to pass it around. It's not the fish. It's the metal. Okay. Have a look at the metal. It's hard to see because it's older than you. <coughs> All right. You ever done something that you feel really good about? Because I got lots of crap in it. Don't, you, do, you, do, you ask, do you ask your mom and your grandma that question? And why don't you ask that? Because <laughs> it's theirs. And you know how much crap is in it because some of yours is in it too. <laughs> okay? But that's a medal, all right, that I got for doing something that I'm proud of. It's a medal I got not because I won something, but because I finished something. Okay? I finished something. And what I finished 
was a six and a half mile run. Hard to believe that Mike, the old guy, at one time ran every day. And he would run three to six miles every day. You run every day, Olivia? You did, you, you're running? Yeah, you did the two-miler? Okay. Our, our, our young friend, Lennox, is just starting. He's six years old. Okay. He's just starting. He ran, ran 1.2 miles Saturday. Or not Saturday, Friday. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. Now, what's important is to remember things that you've done good that you're proud you did. Big people assume that your life is easy just because you're kids. Okay? Is your life easy? Some will say yes, and some will say no. Big people make it harder. Are you listening, big people? Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. But it's important to remember the good stuff, because what happens is the bad stuff makes us forget all the good stuff. It can Good, I'm glad, okay, because the good stuff is good, and it's a gift. And the best way to describe that gift is it's a gift from God. We can work hard and do everything we're supposed to, and stuff still not work out. Whenever anything works, it's a gift. And it's important to remember it. Otherwise, we get lost in the feelings. The feelings, it's all my fault. I'm not good. I can't handle this. I can't deal with it but you can. It's important to remember that. And it's important to remember you're not alone. We talk about God loving us. That's important. God does love us. God doesn't leave us alone even when we feel lonely. And there's always someone around. Always someone around who cares and wants the best for us. Remember that. Okay. Remember that. I remember what it was like when I was your age. Okay. I was the ugly kid with the big ears. My head grew. Some people say too much. But I grew into my ears. There are times when I still feel ugly. But it doesn't matter. Because God loves me. 
And God loves you. Don't ever forget it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to tell us and show us how much God loves us. It's not just words. It's actions. Oh, Lord, help us to keep the reminders and help them, oh, Lord, to make our load lighter, make our life happier, make us, Lord, more like you. Hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you for coming. And there are big people who are ready to do Sunday school. And Miss Leslie has goodies. Make it up. <laughs> you've been working. You've been working real hard this week, Dave. I've I've talked to your wife. She told me she doesn't do anything. <laughs> Am I in trouble, Heather? Yes.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Jesus, this week a lot has happened. A lot of it's been good. Some of it's been pretty scary. Some of us remind some of it reminds us that as we go through our day, there are dangers. Some of them are life-threatening. Some of them are on the road, some of them are in the field. You've brought us through this week. You've brought us to this moment. And in this moment, we bring ourselves, we bring our gifts. We thank you for all of you that you've given us. And, oh, Lord, we give back to you some and pray you will use it for the glory of the kingdom of God. Hear our prayer. Amen. Our hymn of preparation for this morning is number 408. You may be seated. The scripture for focus for today is taken from the book of Job, chapter 13, 
verses 3 through 17. I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. As for you, you whitewash with lies. All of you are worthless physicians. If you would only keep silent, that would be your wisdom. Hear now my reasoning and listen to the pleading of my lips. Will you speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for him? Will you show partiality toward him? Will you plead the case for God? Will it be well with you when God searches you out? Or can you deceive him as one person deceives another? God will surely rebuke you if in secret you show partiality. Will not his majesty terrify you and the dread of him fall upon you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Let me have silence and I will speak. And let come on me what may. I will take my flesh in my teeth. I will put my life in my hand. See, he will kill me. I have no hope. But I will defend my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Listen carefully to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. I don't like the book of Job. It's depressing. Thanks for laughing, Bill. <laughs> yeah, you got to read the end. So your, your homework, okay, is to read the whole thing. When we, talk of, when we talk about Holy Scripture, we forget all that we're talking about. Okay? We're talking about, at least from the Bronze Age, all right, which is 3,000 years before Jesus was born, at least 3,000 years, okay, to now. I just gave away my theology of Scripture, Bill. <laughs> the Holy Spirit still speaks. <laughs> Never in doubt. Never in doubt? Okay. Five thousand years in my hand, and we stay ignorant of it. It describes those moments when people like you and me encountered God in their lives, and it always wasn't sweet. In our discipleship, we as Christians are to contemplate the meaning and consequences of several realities. And one of those realities is human suffering. Our world is filled with suffering. It comes in all shapes, sizes, and degrees. 
malnutrition, hunger, hopelessness, nakedness, disease, violence, war, hatred, crime, illiteracy, poverty, bigotry, addictions, fear, or forms of terrorism, bullying, physical and emotional abuse. And I left out most of them. Human sufferings everywhere we look, whether around the corner or around the world, and sometimes it's when we look in the mirror. Each and every one of us suffers in our own way. It might be physically, intellectually, emotionally, or spiritually. Doesn't make any difference if we're six months old, okay, or we're 96 years old. Life hurts. I have conversations occasionally with Buddhists, okay? And I said, how, how did Buddha describe life? What is life like? The way Buddha described life is it's a hip out of joint. <laughs> Those of you who've had hip replacements, okay, it's pretty serious stuff. What did Jesus say life is like? It's a crucifixion. That's not to say that it's all suffering. It's to say that everything has a price that we have to decide whether we're going to pay or not. More than one wise person has observed that to be human is to suffer. There's a sense in which our world is full of jobs, including ourselves, each of us spending time on our own ash heap, some more plush than others. Does your ash heap have a leg rest? Pull on the handle or push the button, it comes up. And, but you suffer in it? Each of us struggle with the circumstances and meaning of our own suffering. We struggle with how we are going to be who I am. Can we, as we claim to be Christians, stand to face suffering, whether it be our own or someone else's? Or do we hide from suffering, deny it exists, or run away from it? Do we kid ourselves that no one really suffers, or if they do, they had it coming. Do we close our eyes and pretend that suffering doesn't exist? Are we heartless and untouched by the agonies of others? Worse, do we respond to suffering as did the so-called friends of Job who heaped recriminations and cliches on a man who is basically as good as a human being can be. They rubbed salt into wounds 
that were already too painful to bear. How many of you remember iodine? (laughs) Okay. Some of you are young enough that you were spared. Okay. Iodine made salt look like nothing. Okay. How many of you ever had a hurt or some kind of wound cut or whatever and had salt get in it? Uh-huh. We, the church, who are meant to be the body of Jesus the Christ in the here and now, have developed a reputation for gross insensitivity to suffering. Like the friends of Job, many consider us physicians of no value. And we are too often seen as people who are unwilling to offer a comforting touch or even worse, as people who, when they do things, make the suffering of others worse. How often have I asked us, is Jesus here? And we answer, yeah, Jesus is here, somehow. Okay. And then what do I usually add to that? Okay, so how come there's so many empty seats? Because if Jesus was here, okay, he would be feeding the hungry, healing the sick, okay, forgiving people for their evil and their mistakes, Most of us have heard of Job, and most of us have a great deal of information about Job, primarily because we've not read the book, and the sermons often repeat cliches that have little or nothing to do with ancient scripture itself. The scholars of ancient texts tend to think that the book of Job consists of two major parts. The first part is prose. Okay? It's a story. And that prose section serves as the introduction and conclusion of the book. The prose part is probably the oldest part of it. It might be as much as 5,000 years old. It survived as stories told over campfires in family circles. The second is a poetic part that forms the midsection of the book and deals with the problem of human suffering. And some who study this stuff think that the prose part of the book is older than the poetic part by a great deal of time. The book of Job is the story of a man who tries to do what is right before God. Some translations describe him as being perfect, however The ancient texts make it clear that Job wasn't flawless. He was blameless. 
Hear the difference? He admitted and made amends for whatever mistakes he might have made. Job enjoyed an extended period of health, peace, and prosperity. And then suddenly, without warning and through no fault of his own, Jesus, or Job's wealth was stolen, his children all perish in a freak accident, his health disappears under an onslaught of disease, and Job finds himself on an ash heap, nothing more than a pile of garbage, poverty-stricken, hungry, and alone. You seen the pictures coming out of the Ukraine? You seen the pictures coming out of the Middle East? Job. Notice I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. All sides have people on the ash heap. Now eventually, three of Job's friends come to visit him, keeping their distance from the ash heap. You got COVID, son. I ain't getting close to you. <laughs> Not one of Job's friends offered him a roof for his head clothes for his back, food for his stomach, shoes for his feet, or medicine for his wounds. Read it. It's not in there. They didn't do that. They did, however, show up. Okay? Not one of Job's friends offered him water either to drink or to wash the filth from his body. Not one of them did anything at all to ease his pain. The only good things that they did were they, told, they tore their clothes, put ashes on their head, and they sat in silence for seven days with respect to Job's losses and grief. Now, sitting for seven days and not saying anything is really something serious to do especially when we have trouble with the moment of silence in the worship service every Sunday, okay? But you know what? The only time that those three actually ministered to Job was when they kept their mouths shut. Think about it. After seven days, the friends opened their mouths and quickly undid what little good they had done by just being there for Job. Basically, all Job's friends did was sit around him and said, man, you must have done something really awful to deserve this horrible turn of events. So confess, Job, what great evil have you done? What secret are you keeping, dude? Must be nasty.
Obviously, Job's friends held on to a simplistic view of life and divine justice. They believed that if a person were good, then everything would go well. And if a person had committed some sin, secret or otherwise, then suffering and disaster would come. In their view, there was no room for suffering of innocence or for the power of God's love to right wrongs. I can tell you don't like this. You're awful quiet. I don't like it either. Job could only answer his supposed friends with the words we read in Scripture. You know what? As doctors, you suck. It's in there, read it. You're no good as a doctor. Hmm. There's no healing or comfort in what you offer. His friends rubbed salt in the wounds and added bitterness to the heart. Yeah, they put ashes on their head. Yeah, they ripped their clothes. Yeah, they sat quiet for a few days. Job's friends poked and dug around looking for some great sin that had to be the cause of Job's state. However, it wasn't some great sin that Job had committed that led to his suffering. It was simply his humanness. His suffering was not the result of what he had done or not done. It was because of who he was, a human being. The friends did not do the one thing that would have really helped Job. They did not bring the message of God's abiding love. They told Job, you just getting what you deserve. You got all this coming. I don't know if you've ever had anybody do that to you, but boy, does it, it just makes the pain worse. In the book of Job, okay, it is the good who sometimes suffer. In our era after the resurrection, it's the Christian who sometimes suffers. Okay, and suffers greatly. However, God's love abides. God's love is ever-present and at work, no matter what the circumstances of life may bring. It's for us to avoid the temptation to confuse what life brings us with what God ultimately wants for us. We really don't have a good context, okay, to understand what's going on in the book of Job. Todd, who's now with the, the children teaching Sunday school, and I talked about this some yesterday. For those of you that don't know, Todd's a judge. And he's very concerned with justice. Okay? When the book of Job was written, 
okay? Do you know how you figured out who was innocent? You had a trial by ordeal. And if you survived the ordeal, you were innocent. Huh? Where's the justice in that, we moderns say? So what happens in regard to Job is, if you will, God makes a mistake. Okay? We have pictures of, of who Satan is and, and his role, role in the cosmic scheme of things. Okay? At one point, people saw Satan as God's prosecuting attorney, the accuser. And God made the mistake of saying to his accuser, hey, have you taken a good look at, at Job? Job's cool. I love Job and Job loves me. We're tight. And what does Satan do? He says, of course. You take such good care of him. He gets a great payoff for being good. Stop the payoff, and he won't be good anymore. And so God says, so you want to see if Job's real. Yeah. I want to see if Job's real. Okay. But you can only do so much. Job makes it through the first test. The accuser says, we got to up the ante. Human being will do anything to, to live. Make him think he's going to die. And God says, I'm not going to let him die. But you can come close. Now, in Sunday school, I was taught that Job was patient. Not. You read through it, okay, what was Job's response in all of this? Yes, it's true. He held fast to God. But he says, God, you show up. We're going to have a real intense conversation. Real intense. His friend said, Job, you're overstepping the bounds here. Job said, No, God's just. 
God shows up, God will hear me out. And then God showed up. Okay? God did not beat up Job. It's in there. What God said was, Job, you need to understand that this is a matter of perspective and you don't see everything. Where were you when I made all this? Where were you when I hung the stars? You're clueless about how it's all going to end. And Job, who was basically a humble and honest man, said, I said too much too fast. Forgive me. And God said, no problem. Then God turned to the friends. And he said, I gave Job slack. You didn't. You need to ask Job to pray for you. Ask Job to talk to me so I don't cream your behind the way you did Job. So God shows up in a whirlwind. God says, Job, okay, you want to talk to me? Let's talk. Okay? However, we, before we get started, you need to realize you don't understand me and all I do. Period. I've got stuff in process you can't even imagine. And it's good stuff, too. Let me be perfectly clear, Job. I do understand you and all you do. And I am working everything for your good. Then God talks to Job's friends and basically said, you're lousy friends. You're lousy friends to Job and you're a lousy friend to me. All you did was dribble at the mouth and add to the suffering of the blameless person. You didn't say one good thing to him or one good thing about me. I ought to let what happened to him happen to you. However, if you ask Job real sweet, he may pray for you. And I'll change my mind about what to do with you. I'll forgive you if Job says to. Ultimately, Job's blessed beyond his wildest dreams. We're in a world of hurt people. It's for us to decide whether we will be physicians of no value or whether we will bring comfort and healing.
by pointing to the abiding love of God for each of us in our suffering. An abiding love whose truth and power is outrageously displayed in and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't like the book of Job because the book of Job is about that moment when God asked Job, are you real? Prove it. Amen? That one's a hard one to say amen to, I know. Now, if I can find my bulletin, I'll invite us to the closing hymn. 
Now we will go out of here in peace, not a passive, rather an active peace. This week will be full of chances to be used of Christ, to share his peace with others. We will do our best to be generous. Amen. There are still announcements. announcements. Yes, a couple of quick <laughs> announcements. Uh, as I did mention to the children this morning, we do have our Halloween party next Sunday. It is going to take place right after service during normal coffee hour. Uh, instead of a typical coffee hour, we're actually going to have a luncheon. So we'll have lunch provided for everybody. Uh, we do highly encourage costumes next weekend, not just for the kids, but the adults as well. Um, so... I know I will be dressing up. I'm going to force my husband to. He's going to be voluntold to dress up. So there will be adults dressed up. So feel free. Join in. Um, harvest dinner that just took place. We do have leftovers for sale for purchase here after church. Um, there's dinners, pies, and then also bones and carcasses um, if you want to make a stock. Okay. Um. At the dinner, I had the privilege, oh, Pastor Mike and I, of, of delivering uh, meals to shut-ins. And seeing the joy on their face when we would come in and talk with them and pray with them, um, I would like to challenge everybody in this church family to adopt one, two, three of these shut-ins and go see them. Um, they, all these people were very valuable members of this church. I may be pointing one finger at you, but I am pointing three at me. Um, and I am vowing right now that I'm going to adopt like three of them and make sure that I see them at least once a month, if not more often. Um, you know, you're going to say, well, I don't know them or I don't have anything in common with them. Yes, you do. You have at least two things in common with them your love of God, and your love of this church. So if you do nothing else, take an upper room or a guidepost and do a devotional with them or sit there and, and watch some TV with them. Or, you know, and you only got to stay a few minutes, you know, 10, 15, a half hour. You know, it's, it's not a big deal, but it's all the world to them. If you'd have seen the smiles on their faces when we were there and prayed with them and gave them a hug, um, it was very uplifting. And I would like to challenge everyone else to do that too. So I am going to be stopping by the church. I, I know of at least four shut-ins because I delivered to them, and I'm going to be trying to get a list of more shut-ins. And I'm going to try to make as many rounds as I can, you know, being retired. I know it's hard for those who are working and those that have kids and that, but there's a lot of us that are retired that have a lot of time on our hands, and we make all kinds of excuses but we, gotta, we can't just cast off these people. They are still part of our church family. So I, forgive me if I'm overstepping my bounds, but I would like to make that challenge. Look, look out. There's one, one other announcement. Most, many of you know Alice Wimple. Her, she called us last night and said that her brother was killed when he was working on a roof on a barn. 
That was what that was what I was referring to people in danger in the fields. I I didn't know I didn't na name his name, but yeah. That's that's one of the people. Craft show's coming up, and did anybody bring mason jars today, by chance? I need them. They are really important. Make a great craft with. You've got mama church or give me a small or whatever. Not the huge ones, just the I don't smaller know. ones. Quart jars or pint jars? <laughs> smaller size. Pint size is great. I don't care if it's a coin, whatever. Pint or quart. Pint or quart. What I want to say is we have a wonderful person who is 92 years old today, and we, uh -oh. need, to say, we need to say happy birthday to Janice Wolford here, and she's a, just the most delightful lady. You, you, you said she's 22? Yeah, right. Yeah. How about that? I thought... Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. All right. Are there any other announcements? No? One last one from the preacher. Okay. Kim presented a good sermon. Okay. But unlike most preachers, he didn't take up an offering after the sermon. I'm not going to take up an offering, but I am going to ask you to give. All right. This congregation has a coordinator that stays in touch with the shut-ins. She carries a heavy load. She makes sure that every shut-in is called at least once a month. If you are interested in helping, you become a missionary to the shut-ins. If you're interested in that mission, be in touch with Diane Gieske. She has her list. Okay? Sad to say, 
She keeps much better track of folk than I do. May I make a note about Diane Mm-hmm. I had a surgery, then I got panic attacks, and then I got COVID. The day I got the panic attacks, I thought I've got to call somebody because I can't stay alone. I've, I've never had anything like it. And I thought about Diane instantly, and I called her, and you know what she said? I said, some people just want to visit me because I, I couldn't be alone. And she said, absolutely. And you know, hearing that absolutely that she does all the time just took away my worries. And she lined up people to come in every day to sit with me a while and um, save my life, literally. My son stayed nights with me. But um, I was down, down, down. And they came and they left church to come. I called her and Diana once. I got a panic attack. They came right over, and uh, I've had them since. I think it was the surgery trauma, possibly. But mm -hmm. Diane works overtime. Right? And the smile on their face is priceless. You'll never. You get got paid that yet. right. You got that. <laughs> Any oh. other announcements? Now right. it's it's twenty it's twenty after twelve, and you can't blame me. <laughs> Enjoy your there is, afternoon. There's coffee and there's goodies. Don't run away. Be safe going home. <laughs>